0: Of that sort. I mean, no doubt, somewhere there's somebody who'll prove me wrong. But even experienced household name comedy writers struggle to get their work commissioned. For a new writer, it's really difficult. Mm. What we try to do is develop the writers we think we have potential and introduce them to the comedy department, to introduce them to the producers, the exec producers, and give them some craft skills but also give them the introductions
2: hello and welcome to the RC industry podcast episode 43 for those of you new to the show this is the podcast where i interview the most influential people from the world of stand-up comedy radio and today tv Anne Edavine is the head of the BBC Writers' Room and I got her on to talk about how to get yourself noticed by the BBC Writers' Room and how to get your work seen and shown on the BBC in general. It was a really interesting interview. We talked about quotas, the way they sift through the scripts that are coming through, how you get contacted if you are going to be contracted to do any work for the BBC what you can expect if you do get something commissioned and how long that usually takes to go through. It was just a really powerful interview. I really enjoyed chatting to her and I think a lot of people will get a lot out of this whether you want to write for TV or not. We also got into a discussion about creating stuff for yourself and just making stuff for the sheer love of making the thing rather than trying to get it on TV and then if it is good and it finds an audience, the TV people are looking out for that. The TV people want to commission things that have already got an audience and that they're interested in. If you like this interview you might also want to download the episode with Ian Coyle which I think was episode 41, Uh, he's the comedy commissioner at Dave, and uh, he said very similar things on the matter, but he was also very frank about the commissioning process. So uh, this one's more the writing, getting your stuff seen, and the other one was more getting your idea put in front of the right person at that channel. If you would like to support this podcast, please remember to subscribe, uh, share this link with anyone you think will be interested in it. I think it'd be great for any uh, aspiring writers or people who want to be involved in the TV industry in general if you would like to support the podcast financially uh, you can do so on my website do you have a one off donation or you can become a patron Uh, and give a regular donation per episode. It'd be great if we could have some more patrons on board. It really helps out with the future of the show because it means that I have a budget and that's really helpful and it takes a lot of pressure off my head. So if you can afford from $1 an episode, that's 80p an episode, that'd be great. Also, if you would like to support my writing, um, I've written a book. It's called How to Make a Living by Working for Free. It's about sharing what you do online for free to prove that you are good enough to pay for and then when you have something to pay for or you have something to sell you are able to go to your audience that you've already created and tell them about it and hopefully they'll support you so if you're listening to this podcast because you're loving my free content that's the first part of the book proved to find my audience or to find an audience and now I'm trying to use the second part of my own knowledge and my own research to sell you a book and uh, if you would like to buy it it is on indiegogo there is a link in the description there's also a link on my website which is simoncaine.co.uk that's s-i-m-o-n-c-a-i-n-e.co.uk it's £5 for a digital copy or £8 for a paperback copy pretty cheap it's not that expensive and and it helps me keep creating stuff so it'd be really great if I could get that over say 20% of the funding I think I'm at sort of 16 or 17% at the moment. So Every copy helps. Please do consider to do that. That would be amazing. Without any more delays, this is Anne.
0: The BBC Writers' Room is a funny sort of a beast, really. We do a whole range of things, but I think for somebody who doesn't know about us, uh, if you're interested in writing, we are probably the public face of the BBC to the new writing community.
2: Okay, And are all your writers freelance then, or do you bring people in for specific projects, or how does that work?
0: They're all freelance. So we uh, don't tend to make things ourselves, but we work with production departments to make things with them or, and provide them with writers or develop talent for them or develop projects for them. Mm. So uh, you probably know the website where we have a lot of resources, a lot of information, we have a blog, lots of um, talks from writers about how they work, we've got a script library, we've got the tools to how to write, uh, links to opportunities, competitions and whatever. So that's a a service, if you like, to the writing community, or particularly new writers. Mm. Um, It's a resource, it's a service, it's something that aims to be of use. Aside from that, we have two open submission windows a year where we read unsolicited scripts, which is pretty rare in this business. And I think that's a a pretty big public service, as it were. But we're also Mm. looking for talent. And when we read scripts, we're not looking for that project. We're not normally looking for that script, which is worth people knowing. We're looking for the writer. We're looking for the talent a writer who centres in a script has no idea what else is in development has no idea what the comedy drama department might have Mm -hmm. on the go or radio might have on the go you've no idea what's about to come out that's been in development for three years Mm -hmm. so very often it's not the project so one of my readers might say oh gosh this script isn't really to my taste but I think the writer's got a really interesting voice well we would put that script through So we're just looking for talent.
2: So at that point you would bring in the writer and you would talk about that script or you'd talk about scripts they could work on?
0: Okay, so our open submission windows are part of what we do. So I'll just explain how they work. So uh, twice a year we take scripts from people, unsolicited scripts. One is a drama window, one's a comedy window. We used to take them continuously, but it kind of leads to nothing if you know what I mean yeah. you meet a writer and then what mm. and we wanted to focus it and, and look at what we did with talent that came through so our comedy window last year uh, we had something like two and a half thousand scripts I think um, I'm struggling slightly because in drama we had three and a half thousand I'm wondering if I'm copying the same figure it was a little bit less for comedy anyway okay. but still plenty
2: mm. enough to keep you going
0: <laughs> enough to keep us going Uh, all those scripts go for a ten-page read, the first ten pages. So my best advice is put all your gags in the first ten pages. (laughs) It's got to get through that ten-page read. And in that ten pages, we brief the writers really clearly, and we get the execs from comedy, both television and radio, who come in and brief the readers with us. And the brief is, there's got to be something in that ten pages that grabs you. It's got to be a character, a setting. It just needs to be a couple of funny lines. If there's nothing that grabs the reader in that first ten pages, it won't go through. That's the first sift. It sounds brutal. (laughs) I
2: was going to (laughs) say. But you've got two and a half thousand to get through, so...
0: But also, realistically, comedy's a business, I mean, yes, it's a sense of it's an area for people to express themselves and Mm. whatever, but it's a business. Particularly on television and radio and broadcast media, well, and online, the audience don't have to stay with you. Mm. If you haven't engaged them in the first ten minutes, roughly a page a minute, Mm. they're not going to wait for that brilliant twist you had at the end or that great gag in the fourth page to the end. Do you know, you actually have yeah. to engage your audience. It, it's a business that, that involves an audience. You have to grab them in the first ten pages.
2: And in particular with the amount of content now on the internet, attention yeah. span is spread so thinly that...
0: Oh, my Lord. Um, <laughs> our online people we talk to say that you've got six seconds. Vine. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've got yeah. Vine, but, yeah. but actually to grab people's attention. So when somebody clicks on your content they'll give you 6 seconds before deciding whether to click away or not because the internet is a field of unlimited mm. options it's not like the old days of the comedy club where you know you've travelled halfway across london and you know climbed up some dingy stairs and you can't get out easily because you're wedged in and you've got a drink anyway mm. so you're going to you're going to listen yeah online you just click straight off you're not interested it's gone you know, radio equally. Now it's all digital. You can just change your station really easily. You don't have to retune anything. Mm. Um, you're off to six music at the drop of a hat or mm. whatever. Telly equally. You've got so many channels. So the the audience give things a lot less time than they used to. So, yeah, my best advice is if you're sending in an unsolicited script, make your ten pages bloody brilliant, your first ten pages.
2: I was talking to... Um Uh, uh, Ian Coyle at Dave TV and he was saying that you'd think an increase in channels and an increase in ways of getting your stuff out would make it easier for people or Mm -hmm. it would make the options more like less limited but Mm -hmm. in reality it means that because you you just the way I look at it is everyone's still only got 24 hours in a day so of course it's going to make it harder because it's just you you have to be better
0: you have to be better unlimited options everyone's doing it Yeah. you have to be great Mm. and the harsh fact is, and it's a figure that shocks people, is that ninety percent of scripts don't make the first ten-page sift.
2: Just give everyone a minute there to cry for a second, because that's <laughs> you've just yeah. But that's but that's like you said, it's it's got to be something that really grabs and in two and a half thousand scripts. Yeah, do you sit do, uh, like obviously you probably don't. Well, I don't know. Do you just sit through them like one by one, like in a in like a few months, and go through them individually, or? You know, do, you, do you sort of take a morning, do them, then go and do the rest of your work? And how, how would the reading process okay. work? Because obviously if you're script 200 of... You know, you, you, yes. you're going to be fed up of hearing stuff after a certain... We
0: have a panel of readers and they tend to be people in the business. So often they are writers themselves or they're uh, script editors or producers or directors. There's a, there's a pool of freelance readers that we use. And some of them we've used quite a long time. They are... Fellow professionals, they know quality when they see it. I trust. Do you know, what can I say? That's what we use them for. Nobody becomes a reader without doing a test script for us and a test script report. So we can see, does their judgment sit broadly, you know, Mm -hmm. where ours ours is. So I might have 20 to 30 readers reading at any one time. And so for the first sifts, the 10-page sifts, Often we have a room full here or down in the basement. I might have 10, 20 writers in, all of whom sitting with iPads reading the first 10 pages uh, in a room, and they're just going through it. So you'd have quite a lot of days of that. The advantage of them doing it together is that sometimes somebody will go, this isn't my taste, but someone else might find it funny, and they'll pass it on. Because we don't want things to be ruled out at an mm. early stage just because it's not somebody's particular cup of tea. Yeah. And I always say to somebody... If that's not your thing, give it to somebody whose thing it might be. If you don't do sci-fi, pass it on. You know, if you think it's a bit misogynist, give it to somebody else. It might not be so bothered, you know. (laughs) Being as we're looking for the writer and we're not here to make moral judgments. Okay. Now, clearly, if something is wildly offensive and we've had the odd couple, sometimes I think we are the front line of the mental health services. (laughs) We had one that came in in hard copy and actually when it was unwrapped, the person who unwrapped it approached me holding it in their fingertips saying, I'm not sure what to do with this. And that was because of the picture <laughs> on the front.
2: Can I ask what it was?
0: It was a script, but I can't no, go further No, I mean the cover. <laughs> uh, Oh, <laughs> offensive.
2: Okay. okay. Let me
0: just go that far because if, if I go any further, I'm probably libeling the writer. Okay. Um, not the only one. <clears throat> Not the only one. So occasionally, if something is so out there, we think, actually, this you know, is, is beyond anything. Hmm. Um, but that's very rare. I can think of two in the whole time. Hmm. Mostly, somebody says it's a bit misogynist, it's a bit dodgy, I think it might be a bit racist. You, you pass it on, because what's one person's misogyny is someone else's satire, do you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, In fact, I was just reading something by Barry Humphreys this morning online about satire and um, uh, use of language and how he'd stopped being an agony uncle for something because he gave a satirical reply as Dame Edna.
2: Okay.
0: Don't know if you saw that. Okay, so somebody wrote in saying, Should I learn Spanish? And he, as Dame Edna, replied, Why do you want to learn Spanish? Who are you going to talk to? Is it the maid? Right, which is quite funny.
2: Yeah,
0: you got to hear it as Dame in Edna. Context, yeah,
2: exactly. In context of that, that in context yeah, of that, if he said it, it would have. If he said it, yeah,
0: it clearly yes would be offensive. Dame yes. Edna says it; she is a satirical character. Yes,
2: he's got more can't there.
0: Indeed, and the point of satire is to point out the offensiveness of some attitudes, yes. just as till death do us part in the old days, mm. or whatever.
1: Mm.
0: Sorry, that's a long-winded answer. <laughs> What I'm getting at is that somebody might go, oh, this is really misogynist, and someone else might read it and go, actually, this is brilliant satire. I always think one of the most feminist shows that's been on telly was uh, Mad Men. OK. Just because showing the attitudes towards men and women and the, uh, the things that the women had to cope with...
2: I can see that, yeah. That makes sense.
0: So, in itself, the attitude's portrayed a misogynist.
2: Yeah, but it's highlighting something that was a thing. Indeed. And not ignoring it. Indeed. Yeah. And not trying to sanitise it. No, either. Because I never played it down at all. It was very... Um, Absolutely. Well, I mean, I, I wasn't there, so I don't yeah, know. Yeah. But from, you know, you talk to people who were around in that time, and yeah. you, you hear that they're like, that's pretty much how it was. Or that's, yeah. Well, that's as close to as it was that you could put on TV.
0: Indeed. And so, you're not promoting those attitudes. And no, actually, it's not also talk- not a message show, either. It's not setting out, setting out to be that as such, but and I think it's interesting by not sanitising you make a point mm. um, so anyway during that read if it's not to somebody's taste they pass it to somebody else whose taste they think it is and that's why it's great to have everybody in a room together mm. and that's why we try to avoid people's, people's personal prejudices or personal tics uh, damaging a writer's chances at that stage there is no perfect system but we do our best So that first 10-page sift tends to be done by people in rooms together, on iPads, Mm. clicking in, uh, reading it, passing, giving it a yes or a no at that stage, or a maybe. Anything that's a maybe goes on to be looked at by somebody else. And we keep meticulous records, it's all electronic and whatever, so we know
2: that everything gets looked at. Is, Is there any point in sending more than 10 pages then?
0: Yeah, because if it's got through the first 10-page sift, it goes to a 20- to 30-page
2: read. Oh, so you won't email them and say, can you send more? No, no. Oh, okay.
0: Everyone sends a full script. Okay. So, if it's got through that first sift, if it's got a yes at that stage, it goes through for a 20- to 30-page read. Now, we're not exact, because we don't cut off halfway through a scene, do you know? Yeah. Um... The readers then read that, and that's got a lot higher rate of success. If it's made it through the first 10 pages, it's got a much better chance of getting through the 20 to 30 page. Mm. If it makes it through the 20 to 30 page read, it goes to a full read. Again, the maybes get second read by somebody else. Mm. And then it goes to a full read, and at the full read stage, you get a script report, uh, and the writer can get to see that report later on, however successful or not they are. The reader does the script report and the ones that come through as yeses from that script report then come through to Writers Room team to read. It's our way of managing the numbers, if you like. So I'll then start reading, uh, my development producers will start reading, uh, various other people in the team will also read as and when. Anything we think has got real potential will then go to a second read amongst the team as well. So everything at that stage gets read at least twice. Well, it's come through a full read anyway, so it's default has got a second read. So it might get read three or four times, because at that stage we start to be very, very careful about who we're putting through. (coughs) At, At that level, quite often, they're all good scripts. And at that level we're starting to go, what's the writer's voice? What have they got to offer? Is there something interesting here? To the BBC, is this quite something we've seen before? Is this fresh? We're asking all those sort of questions at that Mm. point.
2: At at this point, how much is the writer aware of where their script is in the process? Do you contact them and say, congratulations, you're through the 10-page read, or is it just all behind closed doors?
0: Uh, That's a good question. I'll have to ask our coordinator about that. We certainly don't tell everybody who doesn't make it through the first 10 pages. We don't tell them immediately. And the reason for that is that we like to check and double-check. So um, sometimes, as a list comes round of no's at first sift, just to say, is there anybody in there you recognise? Is there anybody in there you think perhaps you want to give another chance to, or something of that sort? And particularly then second sift, because we're dealing with less numbers, it might be, can you cast your eye over this? And I might go, oh, no, I've seen this person. I want to put them through to the next stage just to see how they mm. do. Okay. Do You know, so we might not tell people immediately because sometimes we go back and revise mm. and rethink. Okay. In, in an attempt to be as thorough as we can, really.
2: Okay. And so the first 10 pages, 90% don't really get through. That's it. The last 10% usually, or just on a rough estimate, mm. you're looking at good scripts, good writers. Yeah, of those 10%, how many of those, on average, would you say, scripts actually would be looked at getting commissioned, and how many of them are you just, would just be looking at the writers? Because I'm presuming some stuff in there, you might mm-hmm. be like, actually, this would be really good for BBC Three, mm-hmm. or this would be really good mm-hmm. for...
0: OK, so... <sighs> so I'm going to pause here. <laughs> it's OK, I'll edit the pause. <laughs> <laughs> it's an incredibly competitive business. Scripts don't tend to just get commissioned. We work with the comedy department... And we try to bring them writers that they're going to want to work with and develop. Um, I would say virtually nothing is commissioned straight off script okay. of that sort. I mean, no doubt somewhere there's somebody who'll prove me wrong. But even experienced household name comedy writers struggle to get their work commissioned. For a new writer, it's really difficult. Mm. What we try to do is develop the writers we think we have potential and introduce them to the comedy department to so introduce them to the producers the exec producers and give them some craft skills but also give them the introductions so we put together every year but well we've just started so it sounds a bit grand we have just started to do this we've just started putting together every year a group a development group and that group There's two a year, one for comedy, one for drama. We've called one comedy room, we've called the other drama room. And in comedy room, we took 15 writers, who were 10 of whom had come through our unsolicited window and five of whom we had identified through other talent searches or through our own, you know, going out and seeing who's out there and also recommendations via the comedy department saying, here's somebody we'd really like to we'd like you to look at. And we put together a group of 15 writers. And it's a mixture of people we think we have great talent and people we think have a good chance of getting commissioned through comedy. There are always certain areas where comedy are looking more than other areas at any given point. So... Well, it's hard to give examples because things change in actual fact. But, you know, there's a big push on diversity at the moment. We'd be crazy not to offer them a diverse range of writers because we know that's what they're looking for.
2: Do you By diversity, you mean like gender and ethnicity, or do you mean gender and ethnicity? Thing? Okay. Yeah.
0: And, and I would include class in that, actually.
2: Okay. No, oh. I was only going to ask if it's that or if it's uh, also style of writing. So, you know, dark comedy, uh, satirical comedy, or mm-hmm. whatever.
0: Mm hmm. Well, the big gap in the market is mainstream BBC One comedy, actually. Really? OK. Yeah. Yeah. Surprisingly.
2: What exactly would you... When you say that, because obviously mm-hmm. uh, a, a job in comic has a certain perception of what that might mean, yeah. you might internally have something different. What would you say is mainstream BBC One comedy? Then.
0: What's the next show to replace Mrs Brown's boys?
2: Mrs... I don't know. That, <laughs> nobody
0: knows. But then okay. nobody knew Mrs Brown's Boys was going to be the next show to replace whatever came before that. OK. What is the next big audience BBC One show? That's the $64,000 question.
2: And that's kind of... Is that what you're... so Because obviously when you're reading scripts... Um, yeah. Well, there's two questions here. When, when you're reading mm-hmm. scripts, are they read anonim- like anonymously, as in they don't see mm-hmm. the name of the writer? Because mm-hmm. if an established writer sends something in, mm-hmm. they might be biased towards that writer. Mm-hmm. So are all the scripts read anonymously and they don't it's know. Something
0: we're just moving to actually. We we are, are all our future SIFs are going to be read anonymously.
2: Okay. And so that obviously means there's no bias towards future future potential writers and yeah. established ones.
0: Yeah. I don't think there was in the past to be absolutely honest, but we're doing that anyway. We think it's a better model.
2: Okay. And when they're reading it in that room have you? I mean, are you are you picking those readers around? So this person particularly watched a lot of BBC One. This person mm-hmm. watched a lot of BBC Three <laughs> or whatever, which means that they're looking for a specific channel voice for certain. You know what I'm saying? Get out with that, because obviously each channel has a different tone of voice and mm-hmm. a different target market for that. What? No,
0: I'm not actually. When they're being briefed by comedy, one of the briefs was we really would love to find a new BBC One main audience show. Which just means if a reader is reading something thinking, oh, this is a bit conventional, they might think, oh, OK, but I'm going to put it through because... So it's just to brief them. It's not that we would rule out anybody who was quirky and dark and very BBC Three. We wouldn't rule them out at all. You know, you've got the comedy feeds, you've got all sorts of opportunities there for those kind of voices. So we're not ruling anybody out, but we are thinking positively when we put together the group, about who might fit certain briefs. Okay.
2: And, obviously, these readers, they don't see the email that gets sent in. I assume they just get the script, which means if you're sending in, like, a lengthy email saying, hey, I've been writing for X number of years mm-hmm. and I have a certain social media following or whatever, mm-hmm. do, do you ever, like, when you get to the, maybe the 20, 30-page read, do you go back and read those and see where they're at in terms of...?
0: We certainly look at them at full read. Okay. And things that come through to us, we certainly look at. Um... Having said that, in Comedy Room this year, we have a writer who'd never written anything before. It was the first script he'd ever written. It's just full of gags. Right. And in fact, we were really surprised reading it. We went, oh, my God, this guy must be really experienced. And we're really surprised to find he wasn't. So, you know, sometimes a script has got a no, and then we have a look at their following and their social media and think... Well, actually, quite a lot of people think it's funny. Maybe we'll give this another look. Mm. You know, it might act in that case to give somebody another look. Um, but it doesn't particularly influence the result, if that makes sense.
2: Yeah, because by the time it's got to that stage, they're already pre selected and predetermined yeah. to that, potentially.
0: That, that, but we think the writer's got something. But when when scripts have got a no, you know, when we've got about 100 of them or so and, you know, there's a patch of no's and you might have a look there and go, actually, let's just give that one another read. Let's give that one another check. Yeah. It might be a sort of uh, a life belt, you know. Yeah. Or something of that sort. But if you haven't got any of that, it doesn't count against you either.
2: Okay. And... Uh, you've got a really good sort of resource on on the Writer's Room website where you can look at scripts of shows that have already gone out mm-hmm. and sort of browse them. And obviously you've also got style guides on there for different shows. Mm-hmm. It, what are, like, uh, are your pet peeves basically people not reading that? like, Or is it people can send it in in the style that they would normally write in because that's the way you want to sort of have them be most reflected?
0: We're, ri- we're looking for the writer's
2: voice. Okay.
0: So, if it's funny... <laughs> I don't need any more than
2: that. Okay. it's all right. Science.
0: <laughs> yeah, if it makes somebody laugh. <laughs> right. And actually, we don't necessarily expect it to be perfectly structured because it's a development process. Mm. If it is, great. But if something's a bit messy and a bit raw but really funny, we're likely to put that through more than the well-made, rather dull something.
2: Okay. And what, and what are the biggest mistakes that people do when they send in either to scripts or stuff for your uh, competitions and uh, seeking specific scripts?
0: Hmm, biggest mistakes, let me think. I think the biggest mistake is probably people sending us what they think we want. That sounds an impossible thing to say, I, <laughs> I get that. But... By and large, comedy are not looking to develop more of the same. They're looking for the fresh, new, interesting take on things. So when I say, what's the next Mrs Brown's Boys, it's not going to be an Irish bloke in a dress.
2: I get what you mean, yeah. The thing is, I've I've spoken for this podcast, I've spoken to a few comedy commissioners. Mm -hmm. This is going to be a part of a... Mm-hmm. comedy series of tv people mm-hmm. and all of them have said uh, well, well the, the thing is i suppose the difference here is bbc are non-commercial essentially like mm-hmm. in, the, in not in the same way that you know uh, dave or itv or whatever are mm-hmm. but all of them have said um when we're looking at commissioning a show we have to take it to advertising boards and try and work out how many people are going to watch it because of the name in it or because of the writer who's mm-hmm. written it or whatever mm-hmm. which means that you sort of got less chance of having new writers be developed through that mm. route if that makes sense mm-hmm. but it feels like with the BBC from the way you're talking um, it would it would be a more I don't want to say an easier shot but it would be a, a much more likely shot for a new writer who maybe isn't established to be seen and to maybe get their foot in the door through this method but also um, try you, you guys trying something new rather than maybe a commercial channel that has to think about an advertising body that might not advertise in the middle of it
0: I think that's probably true. I think that probably is true. For example, Boy Meets Girl, I don't know if you saw that. That came through a talent search through Writers' Room, responding to people in the transgender community feeling that they were not represented or badly represented. Now, bear in mind, it's already been broadcast, so the talent search for that started a couple of years ago, before it was flavour of the month.
1: Mm.
0: I imagine that would have been a hard sell to advertisers. I mean, now it's kind of, you know, very current and, as it were, fashionable almost. I imagine that would have been a hard sell back in the day. I'm not Mm. quite sure. Channel 4 has always taken its chances. But anyway, Mm. I can't really talk for the other channels, to be honest. But I do know one of the big advantages the BBC has is BBC Radio, who break a lot of new comedy. So things like the Mighty Bush or Little Britain, mm-hmm. or and I'm, I'm sure you're aware of the roster of yeah. starry shows that have come through BBC comedy, radio. Yes, we're not beholden to any advertisers there, and Radio Four audience is, funnily enough, people always think of it as retired fuddy.
1: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host
0: is actually the radio for audience is one of the most literate, intelligent and mm. sort of liberal minded audiences probably in the country. Mm. So yes, you can put things out there which other broadcasters might flinch at. Mm. And then, of course, there's a well-known path of developing it for television, mm. you know, with, with greater and lesser success. Some shows work just brilliantly on radio. Mm,
2: definitely.
0: Um, it doesn't have to be a path of telly, I don't think, actually. Yeah. Or true. online. So I think we've got the advantage of BBC Radio. We're not beholden to advertisers. But I would say, don't send us in more of the same. Do you know, we are looking for, as writer's room... We're going to pass writers on to the production departments. We're looking for those new voices, that interesting take. We're looking for f- people to be funny. I mean, mm. funny. <laughs> I, yeah. I could just say funny quite a lot. Yeah. Um, and then those departments, they're producers who are skilled at developing scripts, at matching mm. talent with a writer, finding performing talent, acting talent that's where you will develop your project mm. and aim it for certain slots or you know we're with comedy room at the moment we're looking at developing some comedy feeds with them hope you know i don't know if any of them will get away but it's you know mm. it's a process we're working with comedy to do it there's a couple of writers for whom it's not their natural bent they are more mm. bbc1 but there are those for whom it absolutely suits to try and get a comedy feed away there are those for whom it suits to develop radio ideas mm. And what we're doing, just to go back to comedy room, what we're doing with those fifteen writers, is introducing them to all the different departments. They're meeting producers. They're making those links. We're giving them some craft skills, things. I mean, some very you know nuts and bolts stuff about structure and narrative and you know the key points of story. Because we're not developing stand-up here. Mm. We're developing scripted comedy. So we do all the basic craft stuff. We also introduce them so they've got those connections. We're hoping to introduce those writers to a wide range of people. One of my big things is that for writers at the BBC to have an integrated career, if that makes sense, the chances of getting your own BBC One sitcom commissioned are very slim. slim yeah, yeah. <gasps> it may happen some years down the park. Yeah, That's a mixed metaphor. <laughs> it may happen in some years' time. Normally you'll have a background of other work by then. And I always say to writers, and this is true in drama as well, think about where you can earn a living as a writer, where you can get your flying hours, where you can develop and hone your skills, your craft skills. Mm. You bring the voice... You bring the funny, if you like. You bring the ideas. We can develop your craft skills. Hmm. So I always say to people, think about radio. Not that it isn't competitive. It is. Yeah. But there are the show what you wrote. There's News Jack. There's places where you can just get your first broadcast credits. Hmm. There's things like CBBC. They take quite a lot of comedy writers, actually, because there's a certain way of writing that can suit a younger audience. Hmm. CBBS works with a lot of comedians actually because it's all set up gag set up gag yeah. set up gag and when they've got a runner 26 episodes <laughs> at 10 minutes each it's not such a risk to give a 10 minute episode to a new writer yeah give, giving them you know six half hours on BBC One is yeah mega risky yeah totally so part of what we're doing is trying to introduce writers to different areas in the bbc while you're developing your bbc one or your bbc two or your bbc three groundbreaking dark comedy that nobody's ever seen the like of do you know yeah while you're developing all of those you want to be earning your living do you know you want to be getting your credits and so we're kind of introducing people to different areas and saying think about these things think about these places if you've got a voice if you can tell a joke you can work in all sorts of different areas
2: yeah I know what you mean I, I? when I talk to a lot of my writer friends they're all like oh, it's a great idea for a thing I really want to get commissioned and I'm like what are you going to do while that's Because even if it got commissioned today, for example, we might not yeah. be out in two years, yeah. you're not, you're not going to be able to live on that money. No. What are you, and and uh, I, I was talking to David Quantick a while ago, mm. who's done many things for the BBC and loads of different platforms, mm. and I remember him talking about really like, fondly on radio, mm. because he said radio's great because you can write the script and create it because you don't have to go and make a set, and you don't have to, like, you could just all sit around at a table and record it, and then it's just an editing thing, basically, and then maybe re-records. But there's, there's a lot less risk involved from your end, uh, yeah. budget-wise. And, uh, yeah, so I, I totally get that. And I totally think that's a... Yeah, I can see why you would do that. But also, um, something, something, I've just written a book about um, how uh, you should try something new. Mm-hmm. Like, basically, that's that's the message of the book. One of the messages mm-hmm. of the book is try something new. Because the more unique you are, the more you can find an audience for it. Because yeah. it's something that people can't find anywhere else. Yeah, And... It's really nice to hear someone in TV say that as well. Yeah. Because, I've, because like I said, I've spoken to a few others in TV who have all said, we have to bow down to advertisers. And I don't... I, I, I mean, I suppose the BBC have certain people they have to appease, if that makes sense.
0: We have to appeal to the audience, but as the BBC, we have a massive audience of different constituents. Hmm. So Mrs Brown's Boys is very different from Mighty Boosh, I mean... Hmm. We do a whole range of work, probably a larger range than just about anybody, I would say. So it's a broad church. There's room for many voices in it. Yeah. That's not to say it, is still, it isn't still very competitive. It is. And I think that's the sort of thing that people perhaps don't always understand is quite how difficult it is. But having said that, talent comes through. The broadcasters always need talent. BBC always needs talent, you know. And and if you have got that, if you can make people laugh, it it will come through one way or another. It might take a while. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, you you have to be funny.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's like the motif of this entire episode. Just be, just be funny, guys. Yeah. No, no one. Okay,
0: particularly in the first ten pages.
2: <laughs> yes, or well, particularly in the first page, probably because like if you yeah. you don't want to wait until the payoff of the ten pages because that's like the break in. If it's a sitcom, that'd be like the break point. Yeah. and it's like make
0: us laugh on the first page, and really you're doing you're doing really well.
2: I I did a comedy course because I do stand up, and I remember mm-hmm. uh, Logan Murray who taught me. Mm-hmm. He was like just just get them laugh as soon as possible, and then do the thing because the earlier you get them on board with what what you're doing. And it's the same, I think, with everything with this. Yeah. It's like, why, why... I mean, maybe Stuart Lee. Like, he can make people wait five Mm-mm. minutes for a punchline. Mm-mm. But even then, it's funny all the way through. But you still don't and, want... And Andy
0: Stuart Lee.
2: Yeah, that's... So you're
0: waiting. You're going, oh, it will be funny. Yeah. Like, bear with it.
2: Yeah, 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 But he's proved that over 25 years. Yeah. You, you know, new writers haven't, in a way. And yeah. it's kind of like, yeah. Okay. And what... Uh, and uh, so you've got... Obviously, that's the biggest mistake. What was your big pet peeve when you're reading through scripts that have come through to the, ten, the 20 or 30 page?
0: Hmm. I don't know if I've got a pet peeve. I mean, if it's funny, you forgive an awful lot. OK. I mean, as I say, I'm not looking to commission this script. I'm looking for a writer with talent that I'm going to put through to comedy and hopefully work with comedy to develop that talent. Um, pet peeve. I'll probably think of a really good answer to that later.
2: You can email it in, and I'll put it in the (laughs) notes. I think,
0: okay, maybe I have... I think they're gratuitously shocking, and sometimes it's language and whatever, just makes me sigh slightly.
2: Yeah.
0: Do you know, I used to go to the old comedy room... Uh, Comedy store back in the day, you know, when it was in Soho above a strip club and it was full of drunks from Glasgow turning tables over and chucking barrels of beer. That's how Ben Elton learned to talk so fast because it was a bear pit. And you know that whole generation of comics came through the comedy store. We are not shocked by the word "fuck" anymore. It's just you can get a little bit bored if it gets a little bit gratuitous. The sort of shock level. Mm. Like, oh, oh this will shock them. It's like, no, we've been around quite a while,
2: you know? Yeah. Um, I've read much more racy scripts than this. and Yeah, you no. Know, and also, why are you trying to shock me? It's meant to be funny.
0: If it's yeah. funny, yeah, then that's fine to shock me, but don't mm. do it for the sake of, oh, look, it's eviscerating a small child. Marvellous.
2: <laughs> Is that the other script we were talking about? <laughs> <laughs> it's not the one we were talking about,
0: actually, but... Okay you know, or this is really sexually explicit, this will shock them, it's like... Mm.
2: I've pretty much done that, I'm all right. You know, <laughs> you
0: get all that at home, thank you. Yeah, yeah. I edit that out.
2: Sorry, I'll edit that out. I'm sort of just making myself laugh. Um, <laughs> I kind of want to leave that in there. Um, that's what she said, no, right? <laughs> you can if you want, I'm not um, that bothered. But <laughs>
0: what I mean is, I think there's a tendency to think, oh, it's the BBC, this will show them. Mm. It's not so much a pet peeve as a sort of slight, slight sigh. Do you know? It's if an, the writer's funny with it, yeah. we will, you know, bear with a lot of stuff.
2: So it's. So do you think the BBC has a perception issue then, maybe around writers, if they sort of feel like they have to do that? Because if if they're sort of looking at the BBC and going, "Well, oh, I've got Mrs Brown's voice, This will show them. This is mm-hmm. something they should really be commissioning." But then they, but then they don't sort of go, "Oh, I don't know." Inside Number Nine, for example, or Psychoville, or something like that, which is. One the two of the most I think they're underrated. I think they I know they're well rated but Fabulous. I, they're amazing.
0: They're fantastic things. Yeah. Wow, insight number nine, bloody hell. Oh god, yeah.
2: Beautifully shot. And and I recently found your scripts on your yeah. writer's room and I've been reading through them again because so I was like, this is amazing.
0: They are extraordinary mm. scripts. I think sometimes people don't always know. They think they know what the BBC does and maybe doesn't. Mm. Because it's one of the things I would say to aspiring writers. Read everything, watch everything, listen to everything, mm. see what's out there. Mm. Because the range is huge, but also I'm not saying copy it, I'm saying far from it actually. But just learn from the richness of what's out there. I mean, yeah, inside number nine, what beautiful pieces mm. of work. You're crazy if you're a writer and you don't look at them, you know? Mm.
2: No, I am a big fan of the well the league. Of, let's call them the league still. Yeah. I'm a big fan of all their work. So, yeah. but that was just I just don't understand why it didn't do better in many ways. Not that it didn't do well, but just mm. in a sense that I, I speak to people sometimes and they're like, oh, I haven't seen that. Or Psychoville, they're like, oh, I haven't seen that. I'm like,
0: how have you not seen that? How have you not seen it? Yeah, I, yeah, I suppose. But everyone's okay. seen Mrs
2: Brown's Boys and they go, oh, yeah, that's rubbish. It's the BBC taking not taking a risk again. And you're like, well, don't watch the.
0: Don't watch it then. <laughs> yeah, it's got a massive audience who love mm. it of millions mm. you don't have to be one of them mm. but they won't miss you no not at all <laughs> um, but yeah we do arrange I think I've got a bit of a pet peeve because we interview people at a certain stage when we're looking for comedy room makeup of people and mm. the people have come through the unsolicited and come via other routes it's a slight peeve when people come in and say yeah no I don't really watch British comedy I watch American stuff
2: yeah, I can see
0: why that would annoy you. I do think, yeah, why don't you fuck off and work there then? <laughs> no, I don't say that,
2: obviously. But internal. <laughs>
0: there is an internal thing that goes, yeah, but you're living in this country and our comedy is absolutely mm. brilliant. Oh, yeah. Absolutely brilliant. Our comedy is diverse. the envy of the world. Mm. Why would you not watch British comedy? Yeah,
2: seems mad
0: to me it it does seem mad and there's a sort of cultural cringe that people have had in drama as well I was reading a drama script the other day and thinking but all this dialogue's American (laughs) they're talking about pants and they mean trousers and Mm. they've set it in Birmingham but they've written it as if it's set in the Midwest and so I do have a sort of a bit of a peeve about the sort of cultural cringe that says oh America's the best America does the best comedy does the best drama they're fantastic they do brilliant stuff this country does amazing things. Mm. And I suppose don't assume because it's British it's rubbish and don't assume because it's BBC it's rubbish. And I think that just, just shows us a level of, a level of ignorance, really.
1: Mm.
0: But it's not really a pet peeve. I don't hate people for it. <laughs> I just think, yeah, you're being a bit misguided here.
2: Mm. And in terms of... Because you said, if it's funny, you'll forgive a lot and there's often that um, it's only a joke defence that goes around quite a lot. Mm-mm. I mean, do, are you sort of an advocate of that then, or is it like a...
0: Well... Mm-mm. OK, so... I would say, at a script stage, I might go, oh, I'm not sure I like this, and it's quite funny. Um, If it's just offensive I think actually they won't get commissioned by the BBC anyway we're not here just to develop people for the sake of it we're here to find talent for the BBC and I might think actually this person hasn't got anything to say that isn't offensive then
1: Mm.
0: I don't think they're going to go much further in this process bear in mind I've got a hundred other scripts who are brilliant and not offensive Mm. but As I say, I do make allowance for satire, you know, and thinking, am I missing the point here? Sometimes I do go back and go, have I missed the point? Is is the writer meaning to say something else other than what's Mm. apparent? And so I do try to give people the benefit of the doubt on that. I don't know if I completely answered the question there. I think when you meet people, it's very clear, very quickly, Mm. you know, if they're a writer who you think is going to flourish at the BBC or not. Um, do you know the whole just going back to the comedy store days actually that whole movement was about rejecting the previous comedy that was sort of sexist and racist and offensive and whatever so do you know I don't have any brief at all for sexist racist kind of crap At the same time, I think we can be in danger of fostering a new puritanism and that we need to recognise satire when we see it and see what people are trying to do. Just because it's about sex doesn't mean it's sexist, you know? And sometimes just because it's about race doesn't mean it's racist. Um, But that's a very... Dodgy road to go down, do you know, if you're a white comic, for example. Mm. Um, I haven't got a clear cut answer. It would be a case by case basis.
2: Yeah, I I wouldn't expect you to have a a blanket. Yeah, joke, it's fine because I I think you wouldn't be doing, in a way, you wouldn't be doing your job if you just Mm -mm. said, send me in anything, I won't be offended, it'd be fine. Yeah. Because you have your own predispositions and, mm-hmm. and life history and so there'll be certain stuff that you mm-hmm. won't like and won't agree with and, and won't give allowances for yeah. so it would seem a bit odd for you to have a blanket answer
0: and they particularly want to give a platform to certain people Do you think well mm, really mm. <clears throat> I mean I went to <coughs> uh, I saw a show in Edinburgh this year with Tez Ilias, you know a Muslim comic
2: mm-hmm.
0: it was brilliant it was brilliantly funny A non-Muslim comic could not have done that show. No. Um, So there are areas where I think, if it's not your culture, if it's not your area, God, tread very carefully, you know.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, there's a lot of... um, See, because the the sort of bent of that is... uh, and I don't know how often you go and see live comedy, but there's sort of a trend that's sort of been forming maybe for the last year, year and a half, maybe Mm -hmm. two years, of uh, white male comics talking about feminism. Mm -hmm. And although you can be a feminist and a man, that's Mm -hmm. not a debating point Mm -hmm. at all. It's sort of... A lot of them don't maybe handle it as well as uh, someone who has been through a sexist phase in their life or or, or has been treated in a sexist way. Yeah. And so you sort of feel like... Like, I have have some jokes about feminism, but Mm. I always try and go I, you know I always try and take it in a, mm-hmm. in, a, in a route that means that I don't feel like I'm trying to preach and, you know what I mean because it doesn't feel yeah. like I can you know what I'm saying you know what I mean I
0: do I do I think it's an interesting point point. as I say I think it's probably a case by case basis mm. in actual fact and I, there's no reason that men shouldn't make jokes about feminism but mm. I say I would be really careful about the thing is people don't know what they don't know hmm if you're unaware of the experience of people in your audience, mm. you can go badly wrong.
2: It's it's kind of like, um, also, they don't know... If, if you go up and do a set in a room where you're just a comic, they don't know your history and background. You might you might have been doing feminist comedy for 30 years, mm-hmm. but they don't know that. So mm-hmm. you go up and do a joke to like your audience in a show mm-hmm. in Edinburgh, for example, mm-hmm. and they're all on board with it because they go, oh, I've seen him do this for 20, 30 years whereas you go up in a club and they're like what, what right have you got to talk about this subject and stuff Yeah. so I suppose yeah and, and that probably comes back to what you were saying before about diversity and stuff because mm-hmm. you sort of want the authority figures in those areas to mm-hmm. be talking about those things rather than just anyone that's a good writer
0: yeah I think that's true and it's certainly true in drama as well um, I look at some scripts and think do you really know what you're writing about? Do you know what you're writing about? You know, sometimes it just doesn't quite smell right. There's nothing I can quite put my finger on, but Hmm. go, "Mm, Hmm. just don't believe this, whatever it is. If something is from truth and experience, you can do most things, you know, but Hmm. it's when it isn't. I mean, that's quite a philosophical point, so I'm not sure how much use that is to your audience, but just would take care and don't be arrogant enough to think that you know everything about something that you don't.
1: Mm.
2: Yeah, I get that. No, I don't, I don't think... I think that's a philosophical point, but it's also underlying of, you know... I, personally, for me, great comedy comes from someone who's being 100% authentic and mm-hmm. speaking their mind and just mm-hmm. going up there and say... Obviously being funny about it, always mm-hmm. being funny, but is someone that has got something to say. Yeah. behind the joke yeah. and I suppose if you're someone who has funny bones you could take any subject and make it humorous mm-hmm. but the, the moment you connect with that person or you connect with that writer is when you can feel the authenticity behind the yeah. reason they've decided to spend time working on that script would that be fair? yeah,
0: yeah. no I, I get that yeah mm. and it's having that you know humility of going I don't really know about this but or whatever
2: but I've been through something that's in this area.
0: That's in this area, yeah.
2: Mm. Okay. I wanted to briefly talk to you about... Because um, we were talking about the internet and how like there's mm-hmm. loads of spread of people's attention. Mm-hmm. And I know shows, for example, like Psychoville and... Mm-hmm. Oh, no, I had this... Sorry, one sec. Uh, what well, was it? The Last Hours of Laura Kay, for example, mm-hmm. which is a big one, drama one for you guys, mm-hmm. um, where you had lots of interactive content online mm-hmm. and you had additional... Uh, or like in Psychoville, they had the websites of all mm-hmm. the characters and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Do you think... Interactive, like making a show an interactive experience rather than a passive viewing one is mm. sort of the future for at least some shows or do you think that helps build like, the audience's connection with the show?
0: I think it's the future for at least some shows. I'm not sure it's necessary for all shows but there's certainly an audience I think that loves to interact, that loves to be more involved. It's a different experience. Mm. I don't think it's a prerequisite necessarily mm. but audiences do want it more and more. Uh, even you know, The Wrong Mans, for example, had a lot of um, the making of clips online. This is how we did this. This is how we mm. did that, and they're really popular. Mm. So people, if they if they buy into a show, they do want to feel part of the club. You know, part of
1: mm.
0: part of things. But I don't think the writer needs to necessarily come with all that in their mind to start with. You know, The Wrong Mans works brilliantly on its own.
2: Mm. No, that, uh, when I was researching my my book, the, the the main thing I found out was that people who uh, have a unifying thing, mm-hmm. call you know, want something that they can talk about beyond the show that make mm-hmm. them feel like they're part of a special club. And mm-hmm. I I personally like like I said, I really loved all the work of the league, but. Mm-hmm you know, when I was looking up The, the Last Hour of K, okay, for example, I really loved how just inventive it was getting with, with media. And, yeah. and I know how big the BBC is on, like, Twitter, for example, where you're sort of trying to get involved in hashtag conversations around shows. Mm-hmm. For me... And I, I, my day job, I work in social media. I, I write jokes for Twitter. That's my day job. <laughs> uh, yeah, genuinely, that's my day job. And um, I, I hated it be- when I was working for TV channels for that. I was doing mm-hmm. stuff for Discovery Channel and things mm-hmm. like that. Because they were always like, we really want our hashtag to trend mm-hmm. like during the show. And I always said that that's not good because then they're not watching the show. Like, mm-hmm. afterwards, fine. Before, great, get the build-up. Mm-hmm. But with this sort of interactive content that you guys have, obviously... Laura Kay, it's part of the whole Mm. experience anyway. Mm. But with, you know, sort of additional sites to things that people can look up, it's again not interrupting the show itself. Mm. And I was just I was just wondering your opinion on so social media versus like purpose built content for stuff.
0: I don't know if I know the answer to that. Certainly my kids engage very differently than I do. You know, they are that digital generation, you know? Mm. They call them digital natives. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's going to probably become bigger and bigger. I mean, I'm very interested in uh, different ways of storytelling. We're looking at a virtual reality project at the moment. Maybe in the area of drama, though, interesting, VR lends itself to a a sort of emotional kind of storytelling, oddly. Uh, And I'm interested in it just in different ways of story and how stories work when they're not linear. At the same time, I think there will always be a place for the well-told story. You know, mm. the one... You know, the lean back, as they say, to use the jargon, you know, and just mm. sort of watch. Um, but, yeah, I think it is a, a crucial part of what goes forwards. But I don't think the writer necessarily has to have that in the head and they come, mm. come with an idea.
2: OK. And um, before we go into like, the last few questions, mm-hmm. um, if you wanted to get a script commissioned, mm-hmm. this is not the route to go down then. What is the route for that in the BBC?
0: It is, actually, in that if you haven't got a track record, if you get through to our comedy room, you will meet producers who will then talk to you about your ideas and what you've got. And they will look at your script as an example of your work. So, for example, one of the radio producers read all the radio scripts that we put through to them. Um, And they will then work with you. And if that is your idea and it's really strong, they'll go, yeah, well, let's look at this one, let's develop this one. It doesn't rule it out. Um, if it's a great idea, it's a great idea um, one person who was quite an experienced comedy writer sent us a script and um, when we met them we said, so how come you've come to us and he said, because at least I know it'll get read <laughs> okay. and it's I'm, a little depressing but funny Yeah. Yeah. Mm. so then I phoned up an exec in comedy and went, will you look at this guy's script because it's really good mm. and he went, yep, pass them on to me so I would say, yes, it is. Um, because you'll make the connections with the producers and the producers are the people who will champion your ideas. So you make a connection with a the producer. They like you as a writer. You will then talk about your ideas with that producer. If the producer thinks an idea is great and there's a slot for it, it'll work with some of the available slots, they will go to the execs. The execs or heads of departments will go, yeah, that's a great idea, let's put that into development... You'll get some money to develop that idea. Sooner or later, it has to be sold to the commissioner. And the commissioner has to go, yep, that suits my slot that I need. So the producer is your interface between the channel
1: Mm.
0: and your work. It all starts with the relationship with the producer Mm. in comedy. And so
2: to meet that, you need to...
0: To meet that, you need to meet the producer to start with. Yeah. Which is what we aim to do, is to pass talented writers through to the departments and develop projects
2: Um, so are there any books or uh, anything you'd recommend for people to look up for writers
0: i don't tend to read books about comedy so i'm not sure but on the craft of writing into the woods by my old boss john york it's excellent um screenwriter's workbook is an old favorite sid field Adventures in the Screen Trade, William Goldman, The Writer's Tale, Russell T Davis, as Insights into Writers' Lives.
2: Um, the best bit, what's, the, um, what's the best bit of advice you've ever been given?
0: Okay, stay positive. And if you can't, pretend to be positive. <laughs> Many comedians and writers have a tendency to melancholy, and I would say I probably do myself. Don't let it show. Don't dwell on setbacks and rejections and other people's unaccountable success. Don't get bitter. And if you feel bitter, don't under any circumstances let it show. You've got to be the person that the producer, or whoever, absolutely wants to work with. Project positivity and don't slag off other people's work.
2: Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much for coming on. (laughs) You're welcome. That was Anne. I really like how frank and honest and open she was and I really love how frank and open and honest all of the TV guests are being at the moment. Personally, I struggled to find interviews from TV people who were being frank before I started doing them myself. I was trying to work out where they were at and what they wanted from people who are creatives and writers and I really love how the level of integrity but the level of honesty about their work that's coming out in these interviews. I've got a few others lined up I've got Shane Allen, who is the BBC Comedy Commissioner, coming on soon, so if you're enjoying these, please do subscribe and you'll get more. The podcast is not just about TV though, I've got agents coming on, so I've just signed up some people from Avalon, the co-heads of that, um, along with uh, a few online famous people as well, Um, I can't really say much more than that because they're not 100% confirmed, but Basically, I'm getting new new and bigger and better guests on. So if you are enjoying this, please subscribe. If you would like to help out the show, uh, please share the link with someone that you know would enjoy it. Also, if you could tell someone about the podcast, that would be great. If you would like to leave the podcast a review on iTunes, that really helps. And w- future guests are reading them, so that's really great. Also, if you'd like to financially uh, help me out, uh, because these things are not—they're uh, not expensive to make, but they're not cheap to make—and my time is limited on the planet, so as a result, um, it would be great if I could make some of the money back on the investment of time that it takes me to make these. Uh, if you would like to give a one-off PayPal donation, you can on my website um, at simonkane.co.uk. If you don't want to do that and you want to give a regular donation, you can do it at—you uh, can do it on Patreon. Uh, Again, there's a link in the podcast notes. There's a link in the podcast notes. Uh, You can give anything from $1, that's 80p per episode. So if you think what you just listened to is worth 80p and you would like to give me a future budget for episodes to help you get more information from the comedy industry experts, please, please consider signing up for that. Uh, If you would like to buy my book, it is still available. It is called How to Make a Living by Working for Free. It's a how-to guide for artists to create an audience for what they do uh, and then ask that audience to sustain them to continue creating stuff. So if you're enjoying this and you have found it because you like my free content and you would like to continue to help me create stuff, but at the same token, learn how you can maybe create an audience for what you do, please take a moment and go to Indiegogo. And uh, Again, there's a link in the notes and on my website. Go to Indiegogo, buy a copy. It's £5 digitally, £8 paperback. That'd be great. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for supporting. Thank you very much for buying a copy of my book if you do, and I will see you in about 10 days time. Bye.